The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, welcome once again. We're back as we get into early 2023 already. John Scholes here, of course, Savannah Tamarkin, co-founding partner, Sam Fu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed loft firm in the country, here to join you, answer all of your questions anytime you want to reach out, toll free, of course, 1-855-821-5900. You can go email route, help at disabilityrights.ca. And there's also the option of mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll flip back between the two of those as we carry on through uh, throughout the hour for sure. But uh, we always start off, Savannah, with a case of the day or a week that was. Pal, what do you got going on? Hey, John, great to be with you. Uh, I, I have a lot of things here to share with our listeners. Uh, it, it's a brand new year, but, but guess what? Uh, the anxiety, the depression, the mental health issues that we've talked about last year as it relates to long-term disability, that is still here. And uh, I want to start off the show by talking about a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, he has uh, uh, had some issues, uh, physical issues. Uh, and because of those issues, he hasn't been able to go back to work. He's a custodian and he hasn't been able to go back to work. He's in modified duties. And he just called me a few days ago and he said, you know, Sivan, he says, uh, I, I have personal issues at home, which I am aware of, by the way, as his friend. Uh, he, he's divorced. Uh, his kids are with him. Um, but he's had a lot of stress in his life. A lot of things have converged. And, you know, during the holidays, people get even more stressed, despite the fact that it's supposed to be a festive time. There's a tremendous amount of stress. And, of course, we're coming off of COVID and everything else. And so as I'm listening to him, I'm not saying anything, and I'm listening to him talk and talk, and I can hear in his voice, he's almost trembling. And I said to him, I said, you know, have you gone to your family doctor? Have you spoken with your doctor about this? It seems to me, from what you're describing, that you're having a lot of difficulties and it's impacting not just your personal life, but also work, right? He's telling me how sometimes he has to just uh, take a break from work and he's been chastised for that uh, just because he feels like he's going to collapse. You know, he, he wakes up at night, sometimes with night sweats. He has heart palpitations. I mean, these are classic symptoms. Not, I'm, I'm not a doctor or a psychologist or a psychotherapist, psychiatrist even, but you know, you, 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 you get to identify these kinds of symptoms uh, with people who clearly are on the trajectory of, uh, you know, essentially uh, collapsing. Uh, and I've seen this before. And I said to him, look, you need to go to your doctor. You need to speak with your doctor, your family doctor about this. You need to ask for help. First of all, you need to make sure that you ask for help. Secondly, you got to make sure that all of this is documented by your family doctor. Ask for a referral to a mental health professional, be it a psychotherapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever. You may need medications. You need, you know, you may need, it sounds to me like you may need time off work. And he says to me, well, I, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I'll go to my doctor, but what do you suggest? And I said, well, to me, this is very classic in terms of asking for uh, leave, you know, telling the, the doctor, you know, will you support my, my application for shortened disability, assuming you have that through work, uh, or, or, or as a private insurance policy? And he says, you know what? I, I will do that. And so I spoke with him earlier today before the show. And he said, you know, I've seen my doctor. I've spoken to my doctor. My doctor said he will support me with an application for short-term disability. And then he asked me, he says, what do I do if the insurance company denies my claim? I said, well, don't worry about that. As long as your family doctor, 
agrees that you need to be off work to recuperate, to get better, as long as you are following whatever recommendations or treatment recommendations, medications, whatever it is that the doctor is saying you need, as long as the doctor says X and you are doing X and the doctor supports you being off work, the insurance company has no choice but to approve you. And if they don't, I will help you. And the reason I am saying that this is common, John, is because I have a lot of people calling me and contacting me saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should go off work. I don't know what's going to happen with my employer, if they're going to be happy or not. If the insurance company denies my claim, what do I do? And I tell them, look, your health is the number one priority. You need to get help. If you feel that things are being overloaded, that you simply can't function and you're moving towards a trajectory where you feel like you're going to fall off a cliff, that's the last thing you want to happen. Yeah. That's that's how you put your family at risk. That's how you put your financial future at risk. You know, you shouldn't do it. But people feel like they are stuck and they don't know what to do. So I'm telling you, what you do is you go to your doctor and you ask your doctor for help. And your doc- and if you don't have a family doctor, go to a clinic. You know, go to uh, the emergency room. Go to whoever you need to go to, a walking clinic, whatever, to make sure you get that medical help. And you apply for long-term disability. And if there is a problem with long-term disability or short-term disability, that's when you contact us immediately, and we will help you. We'll push back against the insurance company and get you know make sure that you get paid. And as we came mentioning, right, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is how you do that. You can email uh, help at disabilityrights.ca, which is where we're going to go right now. Uh, Savannah, first one for today's uh, Mary says, I've been on LTD for almost two years due to depression and anxiety and fatigue. I followed all recommendations from the doctor and insurance company. They would like to send me to an occupational therapist. I'm unsure this will help as I'm still unable to do my job. Can I be forced to try any type of job if they if they feel I should? I'm nearing 60 and feel very stressed about trying something new. Thank you. Absolutely, Mary. You are not, not obligated to work in just any job. Let me break this down. So first of all, let's start off with what Mary said here, John, about the fact that she's been on LTD for almost two years because of depression, anxiety, and fatigue. So we're dealing with the mental health claim here. Now, the fact that she's been on LTD, long-term disability, for the last two years means means that the insurance company, her insurance company, has approved her for that period of time to be off work. And what that means is that she has qualified under the test for long-term disability in the long-term disability policy that she has. The insurance company has confirmed, essentially, that she cannot perform the essential tasks of her own occupation. Now, What's interesting here, and this happens quite a lot, is that around the two-year mark of someone being on long-term disability or close to the two-year mark, insurance companies often look for ways to try and get you off claim. They want to stop paying you. Now, why the two-year mark is important is because under the vast majority of LTD policies out there, especially the ones that you have through your employer, through your group uh, health benefits, there is a a difference between qualifying for LTD for the first two years and after the two-year mark. For the first two years, like happened with Mary here, to get LTD, you have to show with the help of your doctors that you cannot perform the essential tasks of your own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, the test changes. Now you have to show, again, with the help of your doctors, that you cannot perform the essential tasks of any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. Now, what do insurance companies do? I mean, they're not dumb. Uh, they understand that if they simply said to you arbitrarily that we're, they're going to cut you off, they're going to have a legal claim on their hands. So they try to insulate themselves. 
what they do is they have you seen a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, by one of their assessors. Sometimes it's a doctor, sometimes it's a psychologist, sometimes it's an occupational therapist. There are different types of assessors that they can send you to. And people, of course, ask, you know, they ask me, do I have to go to one of these assessments? And the answer is, Yes, you do, within reason, and we've spoken about that, John, right, that there are limitations to what insurance companies can ask you. They can't, for example, ask you to see the same uh, assessor or multiple assessors of the same discipline over and over because the first one or two or three assessors gave them the answers they didn't want to hear. But in this case, with Mary case, she's saying that they would like to send her to an occupational therapist. So what they're trying to do now, they're trying to see if an occupational therapist that they have handpicked Right, the insurance company is the one who picked this therapist and are paying this therapist for the assessment. They're trying to figure out if that therapist will examine Mary and then potentially provide a report that says that Mary is able to do, if not her own occupation, then some other occupation for which she's suited for. Mm. <clears throat> and then Mary asks, of course, can I be forced to try any type of job if they feel I should? No, no, no. That's the that's the answer. Here's what happens in a lot of these scenarios, John. You have someone like Mary, who is 50 or 60 years old, sometimes younger, uh, but it doesn't matter, it's at any age, but who is working in a certain profession, maybe has worked in that profession for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, okay? And the insurance company, again, is trying to get them off the books, trying to cut off the claim, trying to stop paying benefits. So they'll send them to an occupational therapist, and the occupational therapist will do the assessment and then crank out a report that says, no, I think Mary has certain limitations, but I think she can do this job or this job or this job. Okay, sometimes they come up with 10 or even 20 different types of jobs. Wow. And then I get that email or that call from people like Mary who say, I've looked at all these jobs and none of them, I can't do any of them. I may have had a course in computers in university 30 years ago, but I've never dealt with the kind of job or the kind of functions for the job that they are now saying I can do, especially at my age. And so what happens is that the insurance company latches on to that report from this assessor, from this occupational therapist, and says, aha, based on our expert's opinion, you can do you know, these 10 jobs. Meanwhile, you, as the individual who's disabled, by the way, Right, who's dealing with this disability and has been in a certain profession for all this time, says, no, I can't do these things. And the fear that someone like Mary has is, what happens if I say, I can't do it? Well, what happens is that the insurance company oftentimes, unfortunately, says, oh, well, you're not doing it. We're going to cut you off, cut you off benefits. You should at least try. Well, here's the problem. If Mary tries to do that work and she succeeds, well, that's great. The insurance company wins, right? Because they don't have to pay because yeah. she succeeds. But if she doesn't succeed, the insurance company oftentimes says, well, you haven't tried hard enough. So people are asking me, what should I do? Here's what you should do. If you cannot work, not just in your profession, but in any profession for which you are suited for, and typically when people ask me, what does that mean? I say, well, in any profession for which you have some skill set or experience or education, or some job where you can earn at least 60, 65, 70% of your pre-disability income. If you cannot do that at that two-year mark, the insurance company must continue paying benefits. They must. And oftentimes people feel, well, what if I can't? And the insurance company says they're going to cut me off. And I tell them, 
Well, then that's where we come in. That's where we take the hammer to the insurance company, right? I mean, I'm not being violent here. I'm just using this <laughs> allegorically here. But the point is, someone has to push back. Someone has to put this insurance company in its place because what they're doing is they are re-victimizing these individuals. These people are already disabled. Mary is dealing with depression, anxiety. I mean, these are very, very serious issues and things that she's getting treatment for. And on top of that, the insurance company is now pressing her to go and, and do this assessment and potentially cut off her benefits. No, absolutely not. And we protect people like Mary. We've done this for years and we continue to do it and we'll continue to do it. So Mary, my advice to you is this. You need to go to this assessment. You have to under the policy. You have an obligation. But don't be afraid. If the insurance company forces you or tries to force you to do some other occupation for which you are not suited for or not ready for, if your doctors say you are not ready to go back to work, you can say that to the insurance company. And if they tell you that they're going to cut off your benefits, you let me know immediately and I and my team will help. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate the uh, the email, Mary, and you're in good hands indeed. The next uh, step, of course, is that phone call, one 821 5900 Short break coming up here. We'll get to more of our emails. You also have the option of mydisabilityquestions.com. Any time to anonymously ask your questions. And a uh, another website that's really handy, small, easy, easy to digest, non-legalese points and uh, information at LTD faq.ca ltdfaq.ca you can check that out anytime you like and we'll continue lots more the disability law show is coming right up hang on you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of chorus entertainment all right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the ride. Reaching out to Savan Tamarkin and his team. Simple, make it a phone call first if you'd uh, prefer to go that route. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. An email is help at disabilityrights.ca or simply disabilityrights.ca. That'll uh, take you over to the firm website as well. Cecil is up next. Another email here, Savan. Let's strap in for this one. It says, guys, I am legally expected to return to work from long term disability leave without the approval of my attending physician or insurance company caseworker. No LTD caseworker has been assigned to me, contacted me yet, and I haven't heard back from my physician. What are my rights? Do I have to go back to work? That is a stressful situation right there. It's very, very stressful. And you know what I tell people is that when the insurance company says you need to go back to work, first of all, they need to have grounds for that. Mm. So oftentimes they'll cite something in the medical records they received or maybe they had you seen by an assessor of their choice uh, as opposed to uh, consulting with your own doctors, your treating doctors. But be that as it may, people come to me and say, uh, you know, do I have to go back? And I tell them, well, number one, are you ready to go back? Do you feel that you can work? What is the nature of your disability? What can't you do functionally? Uh, can you go back? And so they answer, listen, if they say, yes, I think I can try to go back, well, then you should try to go back. I'm not telling anyone here to just sit on the on the sofa, on the couch, and just collect benefits when they can, in fact, work. That's wrong. I know there's some doctors, sorry, some lawyers who may advise their clients of that. I've, I've heard of that before, anecdotally. Uh, but no, that we don't do that. If you can work or you think you can try to go back to work, uh, then that's the first step. The second step, obviously, is to go to your doctor and get your doctor's feedback. And I tell people, trust what your treating doctor or doctors say. Now, that's not to say that you may have a disagreement with them because I have people sometimes telling me that the doctor says they should be able to go back and they don't feel they can go back. So that's a separate situation. But here the question is, 
Should I go back to work? What do I have to do? Do I have to go back to work uh, if I can't get a hold of my attending physician? I think this is a difficult situation because the first analysis here, obviously, is do you feel, Cecil, that you can go back to work? If you feel strongly that you can and you cannot get a hold of your of your physician, well, then I think that you should try to, at the very least, perhaps communicate to your adjuster that you cannot get your doctor for whatever reason uh, on a call or uh, in person, uh, in person meeting, but you feel uh, that you can at least try, right? Be very careful about how you deal with this, right? Words matter. There's a difference between I can go back to work or I can try or I'm ready to try to go back to work. I always like the word try because it doesn't obligate you. It doesn't mean that you feel 100%. It just means that you think you may be able to go. And that's always a more prudent approach if you've been on disability for a while. On the other hand here, if you're not sure if you are ready to go back to work and you need the okay from your doctor, I don't think that there is any reason not to tell the insurance company uh, that perhaps uh, you're not sure yet and you need, in fact, uh, to be able to, to consult with your doctor. Now, in this case, you know, for Cecil, she says, no LTD caseworker has been assigned to me or contacted me. That, uh, that is, is concer concerning. I'm not sure really what's going on here because if she's been on long-term disability, she should have a caseworker unless there is some kind of a change. You know, there's there's a lot of turnover with insurance companies. But it does concern me, obviously, if there is no caseworker monitoring the file. On the other hand, the other question I have here, obviously, is, well, if there is no LTD caseworker assigned to Cecil's file, then who's been telling her to go back to work? If it's just a, 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 an abstract question, you know, do I have to go back to work? Well, no, you do not have to go back to work so long as you do not feel ready and so long as your doctors have not said to you that it's okay to try to go back to work. So so my, my advice here, again, we don't have enough information, John, is for Cecil to obviously ask herself, number one, am I ready to go back to work? If she's hesitant on that, she should consult with her doctors. And if her doctors say, yes, you should be able to try at least to go back to work, then she needs to give it some thought and perhaps advise the insurance company that she's ready to try to go back. If she does need to speak with her doctors, then she should take the time and make sure that she schedules that appointment and speaks with them first. So I appreciate that. And to carry forth uh, with Savannah as well, not only the people on your side, you can do so. one 821 5900 Want to move down to uh, to Bridget. Bridget's up next. Says, hey, Savannah, the adjuster on my case wants me to release all my GP notes of all appointments for the last year. I told him I was not comfortable with this on the phone, and he agreed to send a questionnaire instead. But in his follow-up email, he requested the entirety of the medical reports again. Do I have to release everything? So this is a complicated question. Uh, I mean, it's a simple question, but it's also a complicated question. It's simple because, you know, you always have to start from the proposition that when you're dealing with insurance companies, particularly with long-term disability claims, uh, you know, documentation is essentially the basis of their decision-making process. They need to have documentation from the doctors that are treating you to make an assessment as to whether or not you qualify for long-term disability. Now, the question becomes, do you have to provide everything to them? Well, what does everything mean? Does it mean going back to when you were born? Does it mean, uh, you know, if, for example, if you're suffering from mental health uh, uh, issues and that's the basis for your disability, does it mean that they can get uh, medical documentation relating to surgery that you had five years ago? There is an argument that 
they are only entitled to relevant documentation that they require in order to make their assessment. The problem is that once you go down that rabbit hole, once you tell them that, oftentimes that places a microscope on your on your claim. Because imagine this, John. Imagine you're the insurance company. I'm the I'm the claimant, and I'm telling you, you know, I, I'm I'm claiming long term disability because of a back injury, and I don't want you to uh, you know to to have any records uh, from Hospital X because that hospital had to do with my hernia surgery. Well, you as the insurance company, you're going to ask, well, why are you unwilling to provide the other medical records? It's fine that you say that they're not relevant, but how do we know that they're not relevant? Perhaps there's something in them that contradicts what you're saying and what your own family doctor has in his or her notes. So you see, my problem here is that, or the issue, Bridget, is that as soon as you tell the insurance company that you're not going to release the records that they request from you, they are potentially going to use that against you. They're going to say, well, you're not being compliant. You have an obligation under the policy to provide us with the necessary medical documentation to which you say, yes, I have already done that. I'm just not going to give you all of the medical documentation. Saying that Bridget would be wrong to say that she does not have to release all her medical records, what I'm saying is that that could potentially lead to the insurance company taking the position that there is non-compliance with Bridget's obligation on the policy and therefore say that they're not going to pay her long-term disability benefits. Now, we can deal with that as lawyers, right? We can help Bridget against the insurance company because ultimately the insurance company is not entitled to everything under the sun. They're just not. But on the other hand, does Bridget want it to get to that stage where we have to get involved? We're happy to get involved. That's what we do. That's our work. But if we can help people resolve these kinds of disputes, John, with their insurance companies without our help, that's preferable. Right, it's preferable for many reasons. But again, Bridget, if you feel very, very strongly, I'm more than happy to speak to you off air to understand exactly the nuances and details as to why it is that you do not want to release certain documentation. But that's the answer, Bridget. No, you technically don't have to release everything to them, quote unquote everything, but understand that the insurance company is going to push back and potentially withhold or not pay you what you're entitled to under the policy unless we actually intervene on your behalf. Always a good, uh, always a good thing to have that discussion. Anyway, just kind of release some of the stress and get you guys involved for sure, uh, Bridget. If you want to do so, uh, you got the email obviously because I just read it. But the phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred had that conversation in uh, in confidence for sure. Sean says, "Hey guys, while well, watching your show today." We also do TV, by the way. Just go to disabilityrights.ca, drop-down menu. You'll find one of many shows we've been doing for several years. He says, you noted that the IME providers were employed by the insurance companies, and so the patient's best interest was not being taken into consideration. Is it not the case that disability lawyers slash ambulance chasers, here we go again, have a group of specialists, medical teams that will find a medical concern that is not easy to prove? So would you not agree that all these quote-unquote doctors are in the lawyer's pockets so they can find soft tissue, TMJ, other injuries to maximize payouts? Wow. Yeah, I know. And John, you know, we got this email a few days ago and one of the lawyers in my group that helped me answer uh, some of these questions forwarded me the email and said, you know, do you want me to answer it? I said, no, I want to speak about this on air. Because I, I see nothing wrong with the way Sean is looking at this. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sean is working for the insurance industry. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. They're not the devil. Uh, I, I don't like insurance companies. I think that uh, you know they're making billions of dollars on the backs of people who are disabled and injured. But I, I understand why they do what they do. And I understand Sean's question. So, so to recap... 
Sean is taking issue here or is saying that when I rail against these independent medical assessments, and let's talk about that actually for a second, IME providers, okay? For people who have never tuned into the show, let me break this down. When you're dealing with an injury case, right? Let's say you're injured or disabled and you are claiming long-term disability uh, benefits under a long-term disability, po- uh, disability policy, insurance companies will often send you at some point during the claims process to one of their assessors. It could be a doctor of their choosing. It can be a psychologist, uh, occupational therapist. We talked about that. It can be a whole slew of different individuals who they have identified as being appropriate to assess you. Why do they do that? Well, insurance companies do that because they feel that for one reason or another, they do not trust or believe whatever your treating doctors are saying about your inability to work. And so when you get that letter or email from an insurance company that says, we're going to be sending you to an IME, an independent medical examination, I always laugh at that because of the word independent. These are not independent medical examinations. They're not. The doctor or assessor, whoever it is that the insurance company wants you to see, is not independent. That person was handpicked, selected by the adjuster, by the insurance company to do this assessment. And that individual is getting paid by this insurance company. And I can almost guarantee you that that assessor does a lot of work for this insurance company and maybe other insurance companies. And so by doing a lot of work for these insurance companies and getting paid handsomely for it, they are inclined often and I can say this from experience because I used to work for insurance companies, they're inclined to provide opinions that favor insurance companies and contradict what treating doctors are saying. Now, Sean's comment here is that, yeah, okay, you have these IME providers, you have these assessors hired by insurance companies, but aren't we, people like myself, a lawyer like myself, my team, aren't we also in the wrong in a way in that we also go to specialists that we handpick and select and pay for? Well, there's a very big difference here. Number one, I go always, and my team always goes through the treating doctors first. Okay, the treating doctors are the ones that don't have anything to gain here by telling the truth about the claimant, their patient, our client. That's number one. Number two, the people that we go to, that we hire as experts, we do two things when we vet these people. Number one, we ask them, have you done these reports before? And do you work only for lawyers like us or only for insurance companies? And we always hire experts who work for both sides because we want people who are objective. Number number two or three, I'm not sure where I am here. Uh, these individuals are usually top in their field. In other words, I get the top doctor, the top orthopedic specialist in this hospital, or I get the top psychologist in this organization. I want people with impeccable credentials, people that you're never going to be able to say are subjective in their opinions. They're always going to be objective. And a lot of times, John, by the way, when I have used these specialists, I've gotten opinions that didn't necessarily, necessarily you know, uh, help my client's case because they gave me you know, the goods. They told me, here's how it is. Whereas when I was working for insurance companies in the past, I can tell you, I can tell you that we were instructed many times by the insurance company, by the adjuster to hire certain specialists and certain doctors because they knew what they were going to get at the end of the day. In other words, it doesn't matter whether the person was injured or disabled. The doctors that they were hiring in many instances, not every case, but in many instances, those doctors 
skewed the report and their opinions in favor of the insurance companies. So I can do a whole show, uh, show on this. And Sean, feel free to call me directly. I have no issue taking on the insurance companies here and explaining exactly how it is that IMEs, these medical assessments that insurance companies uh, uh, arrange for, are extremely skewed. We even have uh, um, uh, cases from courts where judges have admonished, admonished some of these experts hired by insurance companies for being biased. And you know what, John? Maybe in the next show, I'm actually going to uh, uh, quote some of these judges with some of these cases. Yeah, good call. Let's take a, a short break and get back into more email. Uh, Larry, you're up next, pal. Stand by. In the meantime, reaching out to Savan and team, one 821 5900 is the way that goes. The email address we always use every show is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. John Scholes here. And of course, with me, Savan Tamarkin, uh, co-founding partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP. You want to reach out to Savan and his team anytime. It's uh, it's really simple, right? The phone call is a good place to start. one 855 toll free, of course. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. And you can always go to a website called My Disability questions.com we read those out on air as well but they're uh, they're completely anonymous you can do it anonymously and it's searchable so maybe a question like yours has been asked and answered previously you can use that particular function that's the way the uh, the algorithm works again my disability questions.com larry as mentioned you're up next says guys do i have to disclose my medical information to my insurance adjuster over the phone can i tell them if you uh if you want information send forms from a medical team to fill out so Paper or phone right. is basically what he's saying, right? Yeah. Listen, you can do either or, okay? At the end of the day, the key is that the insurance company gets the information that they need, the documentation that they need. But I go back to an earlier email that uh, we had gotten. Uh, I think it was Bridget, I think, that had sent yes. an email Yeah, yep. uh, about whether or not to release all of the information that the insurance company is asking. And, and Larry, I'll tell you this. Yes, you can certainly tell the insurance company, the adjuster, to send the information to your medical team. But I want you to consider a couple of things. Number one, uh, if you are antagonistic with your adjuster, I'm not saying you should be their friend. In fact, I always say be very, very careful when you speak with your adjuster uh, because you're working for the insurance company. But if you are antagonistic and say, I don't want to talk to you, Kind of in a very kind of a, a you know uh, abrasive manner, and you tell them you just send information to my doctors and they'll fill it out. You are creating a situation here where the insurance company is going to see you as an adversary. Now they already see you in a way as an adversary. I'm going to have a lot of insurance adjusters take issue with me saying that, but the reality is they're already seeing you as someone that is asking for payment. You may be entitled to it, but they don't want to pay you, so they already see you on the other side of the team. Uh, on the other hand, if you tell them, look, I can give you some limited information here, but it's best if you send the forms directly to my doctors, you can do that. In other words, there is a constructive way of saying to your adjuster, uh, not just say, uh, you know, don't bother me, but go to my medical team. There's another way of saying that. You can simply, you know, provide some information and direct them for perhaps a more fulsome uh, uh, account of, of your disability or condition or, or medical history to your medical team. Now, the other thing I want you to consider, Larry, is that your insurance company will likely want to do that. 
and they're probably going to ask you to sign an authorization allowing them to contact your doctors. And in that authorization, it's probably going to be a blanket authorization, them asking you if it's okay that they speak with your doctors about everything under the sun. So remember that if you are directing them to your medical team, you are in a way losing some form of control in terms of what information gets to them. Because if you tell them, contact my family doctor directly, you don't know what communication is going to be sent from the insurance company to your doctor and from your doctor to the insurance company. And I always tell people, you have to be hesitant with that. You know, a lot of times, John, it's interesting, I get people going the other way where they say, I don't want my insurance company to contact my doctor directly. I want to be, you know, the one communicating this because I have no idea my, what my doctor is going to say. I mean, I have an idea, but maybe there are some things I don't want the insurance company to know and they're not relevant to my claim. Mm -hmm. so, so just be very careful, Larry, that if you direct your insurance company to speak or communicate with your doctors directly and you give them essentially a blanket authorization you may lose control of the process in terms of understanding and knowing what is said as between the two sides. So that's the only thing I'll say that, you know, you may not want to lose that control. Do people sometimes come to you though saying, Savan, you know, what, what should I, how should I uh, frame this for my medical team? What's your advice as far as yeah. what I should ask them for so on and so forth? Uh, for sure. We get that all the time. We tell people, first sure. of all, it depends on the facts of the case, right? I mean, are right. we dealing with a situation where the insurance company is asking for uh, a diagnosis? Are they asking for, you know, what is the doctor saying about treatments or about prognosis? I, I think every case is somewhat different. Um, and by the way, there is also a question as to what do you want your doctors to explain if, if the insurance company is asking for an update or a report. And, you know, one of the websites we have, John, we've spoken about this many times is ltdfaq.ca, right? Long-term disability frequently asked questions.ca. And we have short memos there, free, free memos for public consumption. Uh, they're written in regular English, not legalese. And there is a section there that deals with what should be what we believe at least should be in a letter or report from your doctor when you are trying to explain to the insurance company the nature of your disability, why are you off work, etc. Uh, so it's really important to understand that insurance companies do require that information. And in terms of how to frame questions to the doctors, uh, how to communicate the information to your uh, adjuster, those are all good questions. And, and I think the best way about this is to, first of all, read up on it on our website ltdfaq.ca and number two email us directly with your questions i mean i have no problem speaking with larry on the air here john and 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 uh you know going through everything but i don't, I don't think he wants uh you know his medical laundry aired uh on air sure. uh but that's what we tell people it doesn't cost anything to get this advice from us so feel free to call us or email us or go to mydisabilityquestions.com and you can just post your question we can help you with all of these issues and as I uh, just mentioned, Larry, a good place to start for information. It's not even questions. You can just read these short, quick, and easily uh, easily read non-legal notations, as Savan said, ltdfaq.ca. That's available for you if you're listening to this show uh, today as well. I want to get to uh, Leslie here in just a minute. Uh, i got a two-part question uh, about our uh, – watches our TV show, as a matter of fact. We'll uh, we'll plug that after a short break, Savan, which we'll get into right now. In the meantime, reaching out, one 855 821-5900 and that email address again help at disabilityrights.ca we'll continue this is the disability law show standby you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of chorus entertainment 
All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go, but you can always reach out beyond the hour of the show and talk to Savan and his team, always ready to pick up a phone and talk to you, as you should feel comfortable doing as well. 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Leslie is up next. Love Leslie. Leslie says, guys, I watch your show every Saturday on CTV. We like Leslie. Says, I'm likely to go on long-term disability since my long-standing pains escalated. I would like to know, one, can my employer lay me off while I'm on LTD? Number two, can my employer make me part of a future mass layoffs? And does that affect my LTD payments? I love these kinds of questions because they're so, you know, to the point. And, and these are questions that are so vitally important for people who are on LTD. So first of all, Leslie, to echo what John says, we love you for watching our TV show as well, which John, you're going <laughs> to give the coordinates on that. Um, now, look, <clears throat> first question, can your employer lay you off while you're on LTD? The answer is, it's a two-part answer. Number one is yes, but no. <laughs> and number two is, what the hell do you mean by that? <laughs> so I'll explain. <laughs> uh, technically, if you are off on LTD, you are disabled, right? That's the whole point. You are on long-term disability, hence you are disabled. Well, we have legislation in virtually every province and territory in Canada that prohibits employers from firing, i.e. laying off, people who are disabled. Now, the reason why I'm saying yes and no is because even though we have this legislation, we have this protection out there, it's really a protection that comes into play if someone or an employer actually does that. In other words, contravenes that legislation. They let someone go while they're on LTD or STD or short-term disability. If that happens, here's what happens. First of all, you're entitled to severance, potentially here. And of course, we have employment lawyers, right? Our firm specializes in specifically in employment law and disability and injury law. So we have employment lawyers that help with that. But because your employer contravened that legislation, that human rights legislation of not allowing in, uh, employers to let someone go who are disabled, you're also entitled to potentially, potentially human rights damages. So that's very important to understand. Your employer technically is not allowed to let you go if you're disabled, but many do because they simply don't know what the law says or uh, they don't care, right? They know, but they don't care and they just take the right. consequences where the consequences are that we can go after them for severance and human rights damages. Second part of the question, can my employer make me part of a future mass layoff and does that affect my LTD payments? The first part of the question, the mass layoff is the same thing as the first question. They are not allowed to let you go, to let you, to, to, to fire you if you're on disability. And if they do, they are potentially on the hook for severance and possibly human rights yep. damages. Second part of the question, does that affect your LTD payments? Probably yes, which is why it is absolutely crucial for people in those situations when they have issues with work, but they're also dealing with long-term disability, to contact our firm. Because if you just go to an employment lawyer, an employment lawyer is going to give you the same advice I did, which is, yeah, they're not allowed to do that, and you may be entitled to severance and human rights damages. What they don't know, or potentially don't know, these employment lawyers, when they don't have long-term disability uh, expertise, is that they may get you the best severance in the world from this employer. But guess what? Most LTD policies contain a provision that entitle an insurance company to a credit. They're allowed to get uh, credit for whatever severance 
you received from your employer. So imagine a scenario, John, where Leslie here is let go from her job. She goes to an employment lawyer. By the way, this has happened, not to Leslie, but other people who have contacted me. Uh, she, she goes to an employment lawyer who doesn't understand or doesn't know LTD. And the, the employment lawyer says, they are absolutely not allowed to let you go because you're disabled. Okay. And that lawyer did an amazing job and got uh, this person a ton of money for severance. And that lawyer obviously got paid for that. Yep. So now the lawyer is happy. And Leslie finds out, not Leslie, but whoever that person is, finds out that the insurance company says, oh, great, you got the severance, fantastic. We are going to stop paying you long-term disability for a period of time that equates to the severance that you had received. Call us when that is exhausted or depleted. And so you can just imagine that person's shock where the lawyer got paid, the insurance company got the benefit of the severance, this person is out of a job, and this person is not getting any money or is only getting that severance but not the LTD. So in other words, you want to make sure you understand that if you get severance, you are potentially going to have to face the insurance company with the insurance company asking you for a credit for that severance. Now, where does human rights uh, go into this? Well, human rights potentially may be exempted under the LTD policy provisions. So, you know, without complicating this too much, that's to say that, you know, when we deal with a case like this, John, we are strategically figuring out who we need to go after here, the insurance company, the employer, both of them at the same time. We, we, we really strategize because how we deal with the situation, with the, the firing, how we deal with the layoff, that could impact the long-term disability part of the equation here. And so we, our goal is to maximize the amount of money that is in our client's pocket, really. That's really the name of the game here. But if you only go to a long-term disability lawyer or you only go to an employment lawyer, they potentially may not know the other side of the equation. And so when you're dealing with long-term disability and employment issues, you need someone or a firm that understands both of these components because they're interlinked. And if you don't understand them or if your lawyer doesn't understand those two areas of law together, you could find out in a shocking way that what you thought was coming to you is not, that it's going to be eaten up by fees or it's going to go to the insurance company and you're going to just be out of a job with no money. I think we got time quickly to throw Terry in there in the last couple of minutes. Says, guys, a lawyer took my case on pro bono 13 years ago. Nothing's been done. I call them annually for updates because I do not hear from them otherwise. They're not current uh, on my current medical as far as my insurance states and the case is now closed. Does pro bono mean don't have to do anything? I'm at a loss as to what to do. Should I hire another lawyer to get things moving or is it too late now? Very frustrating. Thank you for offering the service. It's appreciated. That's from Terry. I, I am livid with that. Uh, so Terry, the answer is no. Pro bono does not mean that they don't do anything. Pro bono simply means that they're not going to charge you for the service they're providing you. And the fact that you have that lawyer taking that case 13 years ago and nothing has been done. I mean, you should have contacted me, I think, within months, maybe even weeks after you found out this lawyer is not doing anything. I'd like to understand a bit more and speak to you off air. But no, absolutely not. Pro bono or not pro bono, no case, no case that we deal with at our firm ever, ever takes 13 years. Long-term disability cases in our firm generally resolve within six months to a year, sometimes even in less time than that. Yeah. Terry, thanks for reaching out. 13 years, a heck of a long time. Do not wait that long to make that phone call. In fact, do it as soon as we're done here. You can reach out now that we're done for another show to Savannah and his team, one 821 
5900. That's the number you can go to. The email we use every show is help at disabilityrights.ca. And remember those uh, short, quick, easy to read, non-legal uh, ltdfaq.ca. Uh, That's the website for those notations, ltdfaq.ca. Again, free and anonymous for you. Any time to use that. And we'll catch you next time here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.